Today is Monday, February 10th, and this is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman. Episode 353 with Mass Live's Tom Westerholm is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Go to BetOnline.ag and use the promo code CLNS50 for a 50% bonus on your next deposit. Welcome in. Adam Kaufman here with you. Another Monday edition of Celtics Beat. And boy, what a great time to talk about this team. Seven straight wins after yesterday's triumph in Oklahoma City. Maybe we should call it a survival. Either way, it was a win, 112-111. We won't spend a whole lot of time on that singular game. As you know, it's more big picture stuff with this show. And the C's big picture doing real, real well. 37-15 and 15 right now within a game and a half of the Raptors. And of course, Nobody's going to take on the Bucks for first place. We can spend a little time on that, I guess. The Raptors, I don't think we're ever going to lose again. Toronto has won 14 straight, and, uh, you know, the Bucks may win 70 games this year, which is just, it's beyond my comprehension quite how good that team is. But, again, you know, conversation for another time. It's all about second place if you're looking for the best possible regular season finish for the season. Really tough schedule ahead for the Celts, too. But first, I feel like I need to get this out of the way. I need to formally apologize, I guess, to all the people that I seem to have offended on Twitter yesterday or the day before, whenever it was after that Hawks game, because I dared to suggest that Jason Tatum may hope to have an NBA career that is as good as that of Vince Carter, because clearly that would be a massive underachievement. The man only averaged 24 points for basically the entire first decade of this century, but I know, you know, that is just... Not is is not good enough. It's not good enough. Vince Carter, first ballot Hall of Famer. He was a perennial All Star in his prime, but you know, devil's advocate, I guess he never really had a whole lot around him unless Antonio Davis, Morris Peterson, guys like that impress you. And he did have a little time with Jalen Rose, Chris Bosh, Richard Jefferson, Jason Kidd as well. But you know, obviously he was a facilitator first, so I don't even really want to include him in that. But even still, you know, a lot of you very vocal on Twitter that uh, this this is just, it was, a, it was a travesty. I had the gall to make this comparison. So let's bring in Mass Live Celtics beat writer Tom Westerholm and uh, uh, from the award-winning Mass Live website, I believe, if I read that right, Tom. You read that absolutely right. Well, so congratulations. I know your coverage is a big part of that. But I, I can't imagine that this is a debate that you have been thinking about. Still, we're, we're going to have it just a little bit because some people seem <laughs> to think Carter's career should be considered Tatum's floor with what we've seen this season from a guy who's going to turn 22 next month. What do you think? <laughs> I mean, I think that it's like you said, he's a first ballot. Uh, Vince is a first ballot Hall of Famer. And I mean, thinking that a, uh, you know, that a 21 year old's floor is first ballot Hall of Famer is, uh, you know, that's pretty ambitious. Uh, I, I think, <laughs> you know, it, I, I think the thing that's tough about it is, is like you said, um, you know, Vince didn't have a ton of, um, you know, support around him, you know, during his career. So it's like, we don't really know what he could have, you know, looked like in, I mean, like what would, what would 22 year old Vince Carter have looked like on the 2019, 20 Boston Celtics? I mean, I think he'd, you know, he'd be a monster. <laughs> like he would just, I think, you know, he, he would be throwing up huge numbers. He would be impressing everyone. Um, and, you know, he would, I don't think it's that crazy to say, I mean, obviously different styles of play, but I, I don't think it's that crazy to say that, you know, maybe, the, the numbers would have looked somewhat similar to him and Jason Tatum. But, you know, I mean, Tatum's 21. Like, it is the, – the sky is literally the limit for this guy, and uh, we keep seeing that over and over. So, I, I don't think it was crazy by any means um, it, to, 
to suggest that, uh, you know, Vince, that like you said, the first ballot Hall of Famer, threw up crazy, number for his, crazy numbers for his career, to say that that's somebody that Jason Tatum could aspire to, to be like, like that's, you know, that, that's a great player to be like. Yeah, it's, it's funny, actually, because a lot of the responses weren't even, I mean, some people got into the stats and some of the stuff that we just talked about and, and saying that, well, Paul Pierce is the guy that we were comparing him to, and Paul Pierce had a better career than Vince Carter in, in many people's eyes, and so therefore he should be striving for that, and that should be a floor as compared to Carter when, you know, other people were just looking at it in a more basic situation, which I also understand, said, okay, cool, the longevity's nice, but we want the rings. You know, take the rings over the right, 22 right. years in the NBA or whatever it's been. Right, and to those people's credit, uh, you know, Tatum in his, what, his, his rookie season, um, you know, almost had had a chance to play for a title. Yep. Like he has accomplished a lot as a 21 year old. Um, you know, he hasn't had a losing season as much as last year felt like a losing season. It wasn't, um, you know, like he's, yeah, he's, he's accomplished a whole lot and, uh, you know, he's accomplished things that, you know, Vince early on did not. So, you know, they, there's some validity to that argument too. Um, but you know, I mean, this is just kind of what happens when you try to compare yeah. two players. It's just the NBA careers, especially for uh, these superstars, are very complex. Well, on a level with you, truthfully, I just put the picture out there because they were shaking hands, they were head to head. Yeah, it was a nice and they, moment. <laughs> well, but but not even just that. They they both have you know those beards and the haggard look on <laughs> the the head. They were both rocking the headbands too. I mean, truthfully, like Vince Carter just looked like an older Jason Tatum. And so, you know, that that was kind of what I was going for, yeah. and it turned into a whole mess of an NBA star comparison. But whatever. Let's talk about Tatum, because he's on an absurd run right now these last nine games. Granted, his guys have been in and out of the lineup. They haven't had that full complement of players, at least until yesterday in Oklahoma City. But he has definitely been surrounded by others who like to get theirs, whether it's been Kemba Walker, Jalen Brown, Gordon Hayward, all these guys. If you boil down to, and they haven't all, again, played in the same games, but if you look at just over the last few weeks, you know, I don't know, whatever it is, so-and-so's last eight is averaging 22, so-and-so's last seven is averaging 21, and in the case of Tatum, all these guys are on absurd runs, all four of them, but Tatum, over his last nine, he has scored at least 20 points in all of them, so that's a career best, he had never done that before, he's averaging almost 27 on 49-49-81 splits, what has stood out to you most? So, two things that really stood out to me, the, the first is just his previously Tatum, you know, he would get a lot of points, but it really kind of felt like he was picking his spots. Whereas recently it feels like he's just been sort of like taking charge. And I think there's a big difference between those two things. Cause obviously, you know, having Kemba Walker around, you do sort of have an opportunity to pick your spots, um, you know, at, at times because, you know, Kemba can sort of be the guy creating for himself and for others. But, you know, it feels like over the last couple of weeks, Tatum has really, Sort of, you know, especially with all the injuries, especially with, you know, just kind of everything the Celtics have gone through, he's really been a guy who has stepped up and who has just said, all right, like, you know, now this is, all right, tonight is on my shoulders. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to get, you know, 25 points, you know, grab eight rebounds, lead the break, you know, play good defense. That's what's really stood out to me is that it feels like he is going out and sort of almost because, you know, it feels trite because we say this stuff all the time, but it feels like he's becoming sort of a leader in that way, in that he's, you know, taking over games. Um, and I felt like that happened every once in a while, you know, previously, but now it's sort of happening over a sustained stretch. And that has been really impressive to me. And the other thing I think, you know, from just sort of like a, you know, a basketball nerd perspective, this was pointed out a bunch on Twitter, and I thought it was a really good point. He's getting really low on his drives. 
And that's not something he used to do necessarily. He used to be a lot more upright. He used to sort of, you know, that, and that was how he kind of settled for a lot of those step back jumpers. It's just a lot harder to get to the rim if you can't, you know, kind of bend down and get into that space. And he's been doing that and it's resulted, you know, he just keeps kind of springing free to the rim and getting layups. And I mean, that was a big part, a part of his game that he's been really trying to work on this year is, you know, extending to the three point line more and getting to the rim more and getting to the free throw line more. And that's, you know, I mean, if he, if he does those three things, then he is, I mean, he's going to be, he, he's going to be a, a star anyway, but I mean, if he does those three things consistently, that's where you start to go from like a 22 point, 23 point a game guy to yeah, like 29, 30, that type of thing. So, I mean, those are, those are the two things that have really jumped out to me. And I, I think they're both uh, obviously really encouraging for his progress going forward. Yeah, I'm really impressed by the jump. You know, I, I said when it was, I don't remember who it was. Maybe it was Mark D'Amico, Adam Himmelsbach, one of those guys that was on the season preview show right before the season got started and after the preseason. And, and you know, just for fun, we're making our preseason predictions like any of us do. You probably wrote yours. And, you know, for Tatum, I thought he'd have a better year, and I thought he'd average 18, 19 points, something like that. Kind of a, a crowded roster, obviously, offensively, with so many guys looking to take a jump individually and for the collective. And I just didn't think that Tatum was going to average 20 points for the season. You know, he'd he'd touch it, but I didn't think he'd quite get there. And, you know, I, he's at, what, 22 and change, something like that right now with this ridiculous run that he's been on. I, I see no reason, based on what we're seeing, to believe that he's going to take a step back and, and go under 20 again. It just it really impresses me that he's been able to do this with so much around him. Yeah, and I think that, you know, one of the things people talked about a lot before the season was that the Celtics' ceiling would sort of be determined by Tatum because if Kemba Walker was their best player, they could be good because obviously Kemba Walker is a really good player. But if Jason Tatum was their best player, all of a sudden their ceiling, you know, just goes, go, yeah, I guess it's kind of a mixed metaphor here, but their ceiling goes through the roof. Uh, you know, they, <laughs> they, they really, uh, like, you, you can really see where this team could progress into something special because, you know, if Kemba Walker is your second best player, you're a really good team. If Jalen Brown is, or, or if Jalen Brown or Gordon Hayward is either your third or fourth, this team is is really special at that point. Um, and that's you know that's kind of what we're seeing from Tatum over the last little bit. Is look, Kemba's amazing. He can do a lot of amazing things. But right now, the guy that they're going to is the six foot nine forward who can create his own shot and who can you know shoot over forty five percent or shoot over forty percent on step back threes. You know we're we're really starting to see that in his game, and and that's. Uh, that's really lifted them. And, you know, I think it's a big part of the reason why they've, you know, 10 of their last 11 or 11 of their last 12. We're about 10 minutes into the show, so got to get to the NBA trade deadline here. Came and went Thursday (laughs) with uh, no action from the Celtics for the fifth straight year. So I guess it shouldn't shock people. The last really meaningful deal that the Celtics made in the last five years, you know, it hadn't been since Isaiah Thomas in 2015. So Danny Ainge, for all of the Trader Danny stuff and, and all of the off-season dealing he tends to make, hadn't done anything in-season in a while. And apparently they made a strong effort for Davis Bertans over in Washington. It's easy to understand why, but the asking price, I guess, too high. So he ends up staying put. You know, top East teams, Bucks, Raptors, they didn't do anything either. Heat added Andre Iguodala, Jay Crowder, Solomon Hills. So that team certainly got tougher. Would have been a whole different conversation, I think, if they had also added Danilo Gallinari. So C's fans should be happy that that did not happen. But Sixers, they got Alec Burks, who was a presumed Celts target. Glenn Robinson the third as well. So some wing depth for a team that's all sorts of messed up right now. Less so in skill and talent, more so in just 
lack of chemistry. This is two straight years for Al Horford having to deal with this type of thing. It, at a certain point, you have to wonder to what degree he's contributing to it. But, you know, again, neither here nor there with that. I thought Boston would make a move, just something minor. You know, no, none of the core guys were going to go anywhere. We, we saw those reports. I think we all knew that. Just depth addition, some scoring off the bench, and could technically still happen in the buyout market if Boston also cuts somebody loose. But are you surprised first that the C's didn't do anything? Um, I was a little surprised. Yeah, I, I you know, I, I wrote some, you know, obviously some, like everybody else, some trade deadline predictions. I thought that they would make a big run at Davis Bertans, like you said. Um, you know, I was definitely in the camp of they need um, bench scoring more than they need to kind of, you know, improve their big depth. I've really felt like Daniel Tice has played well, and, you know, especially in that last Sixers game, I don't think that Joel Embiid is going to be held to one for 11 often. But, I mean, Hmm. the fact that Tice is, you know, every once in a while that Tice can go out there and do, you know, defend like that is pretty impressive. But I did think they would go after some bench help. But, you know, to me, and and I talked about this a little bit in the piece right that came out right after, it – Alec Burks and Glenn Robinson III made a lot of sense for the Celtics, but I did think that they probably had, you know, sort of eyes on Bertans, and, you know, maybe they would look at Burks and Robinson as sort of like a backup plan. And then when those guys went right away, um, you know, there just weren't that many other, you know, real shooters on the market, um, you know, outside of the guys they were targeting. And like you said, it sounds like they didn't like necessarily any of the deals, you know, for some of those guys, and they certainly didn't like the deals that uh, they might have had to give up for Bertans if Bertans was even available, which, you know, that's kind of the noise coming out of there, that, that he just wasn't, that the Wizards just really want to pair him with uh, Bradley Beal and a healthy John Wall. So, yeah, I mean, I, I guess to, trying to avoid going to both sides on it, but, hmm. you know, it makes sense from the Celtics' perspective that, you know, you don't want to just trade tons and tons of picks when the draft is still coming up and you could still try to package those picks later so that you don't end up with a really bad deal right now. But also, yeah, I mean, this, you know, this roster does have some holes in it. Like the, the bench scoring really could be a problem, in, you know, in the playoffs. Maybe they're able to stagger everything well enough that it won't be. But you could see how that issue would crop up. So, yeah, I mean, the, the trade deadline is complicated. I, I think um, I, I did expect to see a deal. Uh, but, you know, like you said, it's been several years since we've seen a real one. So uh, maybe we all shouldn't have been too surprised. So here's what Danny Ainge said on 98.5 The Sports up in Boston as to why he did not make a deal. It's very simple. There were no good deals to be made. You have to find a partner when you're making a deal. You can't just say, I need to go out and get this deal, and I'm going to take whatever it costs and get it. That's not how it works. And um, we, you know, we've made many trades over the years. We're not afraid to make trades. We, we were very busy for the last couple of weeks in communicating with all the teams in the NBA and there was never really a deal that we thought was a good deal. And you know, some years we bicker back and forth collectively in our staff. And, and, you know, there's some really hard, hard decisions to be made. But this year was even less difficult because we unanimously agreed whether a cost was too much and, and what we needed to do. On top of that, you know, we were a good team. You know, we have a fifth-ranked rated net rated bench in the NBA. We have um, the third best defense and the fifth best offense, and we haven't even been healthy but more than 10 games all year. Here's what I think is really interesting, though, and I'm going to play you another cup before we can really respond to this one, is that, you know, everything that you just talked about, I agree with in terms of what it seemed like the priority was going to be and not only what it was going to be, but what it should be. You know, where does this team need help? And I think if you, anyone who's watched this team, your first thought is, 
boy, they could use some more consistency off the bench. They could use some more offense off the bench. But then you listen to Ainge in that same interview, and he indicated that if he were to have made a move, or even if he's going to make a move in the buyout market, guards, wings, not what they're going for. We have the fifth net net bench rating in the NBA. Our guys are, we have five players in our four guys that are playing at an all-star level, and our fifth guy that is, you know, uh, the best defensive guard in the NBA, and those guys are all going to play 30 minutes a game in the playoffs. And there really isn't minutes available for guards and wings, and that's the strength of our team. And then, uh, you know, we will play by committee, and we started out with three-headed monster, and now we've, um, over the last month, we've been playing the Houston Rockets are getting a lot of credit for small ball, but we've been playing Grant Williams at center, and it's been working really well for us. And uh, he's played some great minutes there. So I think that um, with our wing play and our guard play, you know, we have a, a very, very dynamic scoring team, and there's not a lot of minutes to be had out there unless there are injuries during the regular season. So, Tom, does it surprise you to hear that? And, and maybe you'd already heard it back when the interview aired, but does it surprise you to hear that and, I don't know, almost kind of think that, hey, Danny Ainge, who certainly knows this basketball team and basketball hell of a lot better than we do, that he sees his team a little bit better than most people do, or a little bit different, I should say, than most people do? Well, you know, I, I think that he's – what he said is, is another one of the points that was brought up often even before the trade deadline, which is, look, the, the Celtics are good. Like, they're – you know, their offense, their defense, they've got great net ratings. They've, you know, they, they've put together a lot of, you know, really impressive stretches this season. They've won big games against really good teams. They've won big games against really good teams without some of their best players. I mean, their last game against Philly, they won without Kemba. Like, they, they blew Philly out without Kemba. Like, you know, there's – there's a lot to like on this team. And, and I think one thing that was a little underrated too is, you know, I, you know, I'm in the locker room quite frequently. Um, I see these guys about as much as I see my family these days. <laughs> they like each other a lot. Like they're, they're really connected. Um, and, and when you start to look into some of that, I mean, you look at guys like Javante Green, like the Celtics would have had to either include a player in a deal or cut a player, um, you know, and they're, they're close enough to the salary cap that they would have had to include players. You know, somebody like Javante Green, you know, is at the bottom of the depth rotation or he's close to it, um, and everybody loves him. Like, that, that's a guy that everybody just really connects to, and, they, you know, he, he keeps everybody loose. He's really funny. Um, he's just a really popular guy in the locker room. And, you know, if you're Danny Ainge and you're evaluating, okay, how am I going to make my team better? And, I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, if you look at last year and how that just didn't work, that collection of guys didn't work, I could understand being a little bit hesitant, um, you know, to, to make a deal and mess up chemistry, um, even if, you know, even if there are small holes in your roster, maybe you want to keep that together. But, you know, to his point about, about the guards and the wings, I mean, I think that he's right, but it still wouldn't hurt to have shooters. Like, it, it, it never hurts to have a shooter. It would be fascinating to see what Brad Stevens could do with that little bit of extra space that he – because, I mean, when you look back through his career as a coach in Boston, he's never really had that one – knockdown guy that Davis Bertans or, mm-hmm. you know, Nemanja Bielitsa or any of these guys who might have been available were. be really interesting to see what he did with that. But it's also pretty interesting to see what he's doing with this current roster that, as Danny pointed out, is, you know, top five in defensive rating, offensive rating, net rating. So it makes a lot of sense. And I think that it's, you know, not that I'm accusing Ainge of being like a spin artist, but I mean, I think it's, it's good spin for after the deadline to have because he's right. Like, this is a really good basketball team. And, 
um, you know, it's, it's worth pointing that out for him after after a deadline goes by where he didn't make any moves. To your point about, you know, Brad Stevens not having had that luxury, that that microwave guy basically off the bench in his time in Boston. Actually, a, a buddy of mine asked me this last night. You know, when's when's the last time uh, the Celtics had a guy like that? And, and just kind of off the top of my head, I was like, Eddie House, I think. I mean, has, has yeah. there really been someone since House? I know that, you know, you could argue Isaiah Thomas was acquired to be that guy, but he very quickly became a starter and never looked back. So, you know, when, yeah. you know, it, is it House? Is that the last time? I know for all these people wanted Carson Edwards to be that guy based on what you saw in the preseason. He clearly has not even sniffed that at this point, and maybe he will at some point, but this year is not the year. So what's, right. the, what's the closest thing they have? It, it, does it make sense to try and add a Thomas again and, and knowing that you're going to have to cut somebody loose, but he's available, traded to the Clippers and then bought out, do you try and, and reunite and hope that he can – resurrect himself here and, and be what he was, you know, not not to that degree in a, in a very limited sample, but can give you those those threes off the bench, that instant pop. Yeah, I, I've seen a lot of people asking about Isaiah Thomas, and I just, I don't see the fit there. And I mean, you know, I, I enjoyed the Isaiah Thomas uh, experience as much as everybody else. So it's not, it's not fun to say this, but I, I just, I don't see him um, contributing to an NBA team at this point. Like he's, you know, in, in Washington, yes, he could put up some points. You know, he's still got, you know, just the scoring instincts that he's always had. But, I mean, his defense at this point is just – it's even worse than it, than it previously was because now he's not, you know, fully healthy. And, um, you know, he's – like, what, what you need from him to be a – for him to be a really good NBA player is for him to be the, you know, primary scorer, you know, coming off all the pick and rolls, collapsing the defense, doing all that stuff, and he's just – he doesn't have that same burst. He does. He just doesn't quite have it like that. Um, you know, I, th- I think there's other guys that could be on the buyout market who, who could be intriguing, but, you know, the Celtics are really going to have to, if, if they're going to go after one of those guys, one, like you said, they're going to have to cut somebody. Um, and two, if, uh, you know, if they, if they acquire that guy, they're going to have to really sell the fact that they have, uh, you know, a potential deep playoff run to make because they, they're not going to have a lot of extra money to throw around and other teams might. So, I mean, you know, you can look at a Langston Galloway, you know, and, and Alan Crabb, like, you know, guys who, who might get bought out who could come off the bench and, and hit three-pointers. But, you know, again, you're, if, unless, unless those guys are really focused on trying to make a deep playoff run um, as opposed to, you know, getting a little extra money, uh, it's going to be – it could be a tough sell for the Celtics. And I'm not sure that it would be worth, um, you know, cutting the guy, uh, you know, for, for some of the guys who are under that level. We'll get right back to Tom, but want to take a quick break. Tell you today's show is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Clearly, football season's over, unless you're into the XFL, by the way. I hope you cleaned up during the NFL season and for the big game and all throughout the playoffs and all that stuff. XFL is something you should definitely go after. But NBA futures still in play. You got the Lakers plus 250, the Bucks plus 300, Clippers plus 400, Sixers plus 1,000, and uh, everybody's favorite the Boston Celtics, plus 2,000, which may be for a championship odds. It's, I don't know, put 20 bucks down. Like It's not that crazy, right, to think that, as Danny Ainge said, maybe everything breaks right, everything goes your way. Talking about Banner 18. BetOnline.ag also has odds for NBA MVP, Rookie of the Year, a whole bunch more stuff. If you're looking to score on more than just basketball, BetOnline.ag has you covered for golf, soccer, hockey, even baseball futures are out. Red Sox are still a mess, and now Mookie Betts is officially gone, and so that sucks. Anyway, if you don't see a prop that uh, you really like, make it up on the spot. BetOnline.ag will give you a line for it. Remember, 
When you go to betonline.ag, use the promo code CLNS50 for 50% bonus on your next deposit. That's betonline.ag, and the promo code is CLNS50. Let's get back to Tom. This is a tangent, but that's the thing that always kind of, uh, you know, got me about Thomas. Probably what got me blocked by Isaiah Thomas on Twitter as well. But the, you know, I, I used to, and like you, I enjoyed the IT experience as much as anybody. The king in the fourth crap, that nickname, it drove me crazy. And looking at his freaking wrist as if he was wearing a wall, all that stuff, like that, that bothered me. But I, you know, I, the, the thing that, I feel like not enough people acknowledged was that, okay, I mean, sure, he might score 22 points for you in in a random fourth quarter, but how many points did the Celtics give up? You know, he had to score that many points because they were also getting killed on the other end, and he contributed to that. So not enough people, I think, you know, we we were blinded by that that little guy stuff of, you know, him going out and dominating and putting up MVP caliber numbers and top five in the voting and and a lovable guy and back up the Brinks truck and chip on his shoulder and all that stuff. But it was also, okay, I mean, keep in mind, he's also hurting you as much as he's helping you, you could argue. Yeah, and I, w- I will say, I, I think it shouldn't be underrated, one, how he kind of galvanized the guys around him. Absolutely. Uh, I think, you know, in his role, he was, like, I mean, the guys loved him. He was extremely inspirational, I think, in that way. And two, they really assumed his identity. You know, those Celtics teams were chip-on-your-shoulders teams. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you go back to, like, I mean, Jay Crowder. Like, yep. they, they had just guys up and down that roster who – Marcus Smart, who were chip-on-your-shoulder, play real hard. And I think in a lot of ways they were really embodying, um, you know, the mentality that IT brought. And that really, really worked. Like, that's kind of an intangible thing. Um, but, but I think it really mattered um, a lot to those teams. But – in on the 2019-20 Boston Celtics, he would not be he would not be that guy anymore. And at that point, are you sort of negating you know some of the things that made him so successful in Boston? Um, you know, just because he's because he's because he's not that guy anymore. Is he less valuable you know in a bench role because this team's identity is already sort of what it is? And I think there's I, I think there's a lot to that. And I also just kind of again he's. You know, like you said, he's, he's, he was a bad defender before. He is almost a hopeless defender at this point, and it, it, it's tough to see how he contributes uh, this season. That's the thing that's so wild about people also obsessing over Jamal Crawford, who, again, you know, just a, he's, he's a, exactly. an, a name more than anything else. Jamal Crawford, who both followed and unfollowed me on Twitter in a span of about two hours this week, by the way, <laughs> probably because he saw something that I tweeted about him, which was not favorable, which, you know, I wasn't mean. It was just like, hey, this guy, there's a reason he doesn't have a job. He's 39 years old. His three-point numbers last year when he did finally land on a team were down as compared to what they were throughout his you know career when he was more than serviceable downright dynamic off the bench and his defense which was already not good is you know taking a, a wild step back so these aren't the guys clearly that fans should be focusing on that we should be focusing on most importantly that Danny Ainge should be focusing on but then it gets interesting when you start to talk about the likes of a Tristan Thompson if he were to come available and and some think hey you got that championship experience if you can lure him as opposed to the Rockets grabbing him or something like that, like, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense. But I also do go back to this, and, and maybe it is that chemistry conversation. you got to get rid of a guy. So if you're bringing in somebody like that or anybody else for that matter, and you can tell me what you think of Thompson, whether that's a move you would make or Ainge would make, more importantly, I guess, but who goes? You know, is it Javante Green? Is it Vincent Poirier, who they also are, you know, invested in for next year? Because someone needs to move, and it would just be an outright release because you can't make a trade. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that I'm, one. I think Thompson is the, is a guy that you you know definitely should keep an eye on. Um, you know, he would certainly add to that bench. He would help against. Um, you know, he would help against Philly. He would help against uh, Milwaukee. I think. You know, he he would do some useful things. I think in that scenario, you're probably cutting Poirier. Um, you know, he's just you know it, it would be tough because the guy came over here from you know overseas to, to to you know give the NBA a shot, and the Celtics really had to try to convince him um, to come over, but. You know, that's he, he's, he'd be kind of the expendable one there. Um, I, I think they do want to hang on to Javante. He's, he's been really good this year. Like I said, he's been really good in the locker room. Um, I, I think he's somebody who, would, who they would probably try to keep. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, the, the, the Thompson one's going to be tough because there will be a lot of teams who have interest in him. And, and again, like I said before, they don't have any, uh, any extra money to throw around at him. So it would be like a minimum deal and, you know, come showcase yourself to the playoffs. Uh, type thing and you know we would see how that would go um, I personally I, I I'd still kind of think that if the trade deadline went the way it did I wouldn't be surprised if the buyout market is really quiet like mm-hmm. it it feels like I mean these guys they love their team you know you talk to anybody in the front they, they like everybody up and down the roster um, you know it, it just kind of feels like this is a year that there might not be somebody available who moves the needle for them especially on the buyout market if you know if Ainge is talking this way about not being able to find someone on the trade market um, who could crack the playoff rotation, the buyout market's even less likely. So, you know, maybe they make a move for depth. Maybe they try to make a small upgrade. But personally, I could see the the buyout market going by um, very quiet. And they, uh, you know, continue to roll with this team that, you know, like you said, has won seven in a row and 10 of 11. The thing that drives me absolutely bonkers, and this is not just the Celtics, this is any team, any sport for that matter, after a trade deadline, when you start to hear the spin of a team didn't make a move, but I'll tell you what, if, if we get healthy, that's like a trade deadline acquisition. <laughs> and you know, now I'm, now I'm going to be a hypocrite because I'm, I'm going to ask the question, if Robert Williams does get healthy enough, to contribute to this team because again i mean ainge said it basically without using the words we could need help as as a big we like our committee but we need a big is robert williams someone that you know you feel like could come in and really make an impact here after this hip injury late in the season yeah i mean i think your dog seems to think so (laughs) um yeah i i mean she uh, she heard a train, which is uh, <laughs> the worst offense. You don't uh, you don't need you to tell me it. I have a dog who barks at anything she sees out the window, anything at all. <laughs> yeah, um, but no. To, to to your point, uh, Robert Williams, I, I think you know he he's a useful player. He's a useful player off the bench. Um, I don't I don't think he's going to start this year, especially given how well Tice has played. Um, you know, maybe. I, I mean, I think you're right that a lot of the time it's been, um, you know, and the Celtics. You know, to their credit, to Ainge's credit, he has had a lot of uh, – they, they have had a lot of injuries. I mean, this has been a very uh, – Oh, it's been sort ridiculous. Of season. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll see what he does. I, I think Williams is a, is a useful player. Um, defensively, if you look at the numbers, he has not um, been very good this year. Obviously, there's just endless physical tools that, um, that suggest that he could be eventually. Um, but, you know, for, for this season specifically, it does kind of feel like – if, if all you think that you need from the big rotation is, you know, another body, somebody who could come in, maybe block a few shots, play 10 minutes um, in, in, a, in a playoff game um, here or there, then sure, absolutely. I don't think he's going to be, you know, the answer as a, uh, you know, as like a, a big uh, contributor off the bench in the playoffs this season. Next season, absolutely, I could see it. 
Um, but but this year it does kind of feel like you know um, the, the 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 big rotation they've they've been kind of locking it in with with Tice and Cantor and I think Williams will definitely play, but I don't know that you would necessarily call him you know like the, the trade deadline acquisition mm-hmm. you know by proxy. So I didn't hear this, but uh, my producer Evan Valenti said that Bill Simmons, we all know, noted C's supporter over at the Ringer, and so much more than that. He believes that the Celts should have traded Marcus Smart for the right big because this team functions better offensively when he's off the floor because he shoots too much. It's not an anti-Smart take or anything like that. It's just, you know, more discussion in fit. I'll tell you first who would never deal Marcus Smart. That's probably anybody, but most especially his number one supporter, and that's Kemba Walker. He's just the ultimate competitor, man. He definitely gets overshadowed. I think his offense gets overshadowed as well. Like... He continuously, like, just makes huge plays for us. He just does. Shots, stops, rebounds, blocks. He's he's incredible, man. So, look, we know how much Smart impacts winning. Saw it again in OKC on that late steal. I passionately disagree with any sort of notion about dealing Marcus Smart. In fact, on a recent show, I, I made the argument that behind uh, – I was talking to Sean Devaney about this – that behind – Jalen Brown, who contractually you can't trade, so he's just automatically at the top. And then Jason Tatum, who everything we talked about earlier in the show, Hall of Famer far surpassing that of Vince Carter. After that, <laughs> Marcus Smart is the most untradeable guy on this roster. He, he to me, is that important to the culture, to what goes on on the floor. He is your de facto captain and yada, 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 all the things that I've said a million times before. But what do you think? I mean, is that is there any validity to what Simmons said? No, I'm I'm, I'm with you on that one. Um, I mean, especially when you look at what, like, what are you getting back for Smart in the, in that scenario? Like, so you're trading away the guy who, you know, in a lot of ways defines certain parts of your identity as a team. You know, a guy who legitimately could make, you know, he will probably be a first team All Defense guy again. Um, you know, at the guard position, and who his teammates and, you know, loudly proclaim should be the defensive player of the year, mm. um, which obviously is, you know, teammates will, will talk up their guys, but I don't think it's insignificant that they're so um, open about believing that. Um, you know, you, you, like you're trading that guy away uh, for a position that in the last two years has been very capably filled by Aaron Baines and Daniel Tice. Like Marcus Smart is a pretty irreplaceable piece. You're not going to get another versatile guard defender like him. He's he, he's he's just a very um, a very unique type of player who brings unique things to your team. If you trade him away for a big, then you're trading him away for again a position that has been held by guys who make about five million a year. And that's not a knock on Baines and Tice, who have been really really good, but it just sort of shows that like in the NBA, especially in the modern NBA, bigs can be a little bit replaceable. And Marcus Smart isn't. So that would be that would be kind of where I come down on that. I, I just don't think you trade away the guy who is who is you know pretty much irreplaceable. Your dog doesn't like it either. You can't deal Marcus Smart. <laughs> All right. So for now, this is the team. You know, short of something happening on the buyout market, this is the team. Has your view of where Boston stands in the East changed at all after the limited activity in the conference? Because again, the upper echelon teams they didn't do anything either. Yeah, so I don't think where I don't think where I see them has changed much. Um, I think that before the trade deadline, um, they were you know quasi contenders. Like if things break right, I could see them making you know a deep run and challenging the Bucks in the Eastern Conference Finals. And after the trade deadline, you know if they keep winning, I could kind of see the same thing. I wouldn't say that they're favorites, obviously. Like 
it's tough to pick against a team that's winning at a historic pace, um, like like Milwaukee is. Um, but you know, they're still a really, really good team with a lot of really good pieces, and I still think that um, they could accomplish a lot of really impressive things this year. So, you know, not making a deal at the deadline didn't really change that for me. I don't think. Okay, so obviously, you know, the, the people want to know. Can this team win a championship? Pipe dream, probably, it uh, coming into the season. Now what we've seen, it feels a little more realistic to believe, hey, in the right series, the right matchup, maybe somebody else like the Bucks get knocked off by someone else because I don't think the Celtics would beat the Bucks in a seven-game series. But can this team win a title? You know, it feels like the East is maybe wide open, at least short of Milwaukee. This is Danny Ainge's take. Yes, I do think that we can. And, you know, I think a lot of things have to go our way, but – I think our team is, you know, it surpassed my expectations, and that's why I don't ever, you know, give prognostications before the season starts or during the season because it doesn't really matter what I think. It matters what my players think and my coaches believe. And um, But I think that the fact that right now we're sitting here as the number three defense in the NBA at 50 games through the season is is amazing to me. I think that's a fantastic accomplishment. I think our team is even getting better. And um, we haven't even been healthy. We haven't had some of our best defensive players out there healthy for long stretches of the season so far. So I'm optimistic about this this group of guys, absolutely. Again, that was on Boston Radio a couple days ago. So the Celtics have extended their winning streak to seven. They've won a couple more games since then. So 30 games left in the regular season. Last night, as Ainge noted, the lack of health. Just the 15th time in 52 games that the regular starting five has been available. You know, we're talking about... Kemba and Gordon and uh, Jalen and Jason, and obviously Tice, who has been a, a focal point and played so well, as Tom talked about before. So Brad Stevens, Kemba Walker, Gordon Hayward, they all weighed in just on, on the importance of being healthy. The ability to stay with you know multiple guys on the court at once, obviously, is a, a benefit. You know, still managing some minutes here, especially with Kemba over the next you know few games and then probably even after just to be smart about it trying to find that rhythm still it can be tough we just had a lot of injuries what you know we're just trying to trying to stay healthy man which is which is tough in this league just trying to stay on track we have a lot of weapons the biggest thing is making sure everybody comes with energy come to play hard and we compete and then after that it's it's focusing on the game plans and if everyone makes the, the right play and trust everybody you know we have such good players that you know good things will happen Tom, so kind of feels like we've seen some unofficial load management already sprinkled in these last few weeks. But do you think we're we're going to see more in the coming weeks to get as healthy as possible for the stretch run? I mean, hell, Jalen Brown, both of his ankles are all screwed up right now. Yeah, I think Jalen's a prime example of that. I think we'll definitely see him resting some. And, you know, anybody who's had ankle injuries knows those things can keep cropping up at just the worst possible times. Um, and we've definitely seen some unofficial um, load management. There's no question about that. Um, yeah, but I mean, you know, this team, they, they know how good they can be. If everybody's healthy, they know that like, I mean, that, that's just incredibly key. And, and we talked about it with the bench depth. Um, you know, the bench depth also includes how good the starters are individually. Like that, that includes, you know, Gordon Hayward when he plays with the bench, because, you know, it, it, he can help a bench unit kind of keep things moving and keep things smooth. You know, that includes Tatum because, they like to put him in there because he's a go-to scorer. You know, that includes Kemba. That includes Jalen. Like, they sprinkle these guys in, so it's really important to keep those guys healthy um, because the bench needs them as much as the starters do. So, yeah, I mean, we're going to see a lot of load management. We're going to see this team trying to get ready for the playoffs that way, and, and especially, you know, if they if they don't make a move at the buyout market, then uh, on, on the buyout market, then, yeah, I mean, that's that's how this team is going to get by, I think. 
Does Boston have the luxury of load management, though, or, or does it have to stay focused on that two seed? So that's a really good question, and it depends. Thank you. How appreciate much that. You sort. <laughs> well, it depends how much you buy into, um, you know, Philly as a team that can get itself together. Because I, I will say, like watching Philly over this last little while, I know they have lots of matchup advantages against the Celtics, but they just aren't that scary. And we saw the Celtics, you know, beat them up when they came to Boston. Like that, that team just isn't. They, they've got a ton of talent. They've got real advantages over the Celtics in certain situations, but you know they're they're messy. Like their chemistry is is off, and um, that really matters. And I, and I do think that the Celtics could beat them in a series if they had to. Um, I'm not saying they would for sure, but I'm saying I, I think they could. So, yeah, I mean, I, I I guess to me, I would rather if I'm the Celtics, I would rather have my guys healthy, um, good to go entering the postseason, um, than I would worry about. Um, you know, the the various matchups or, you know, trying to get to the two seed. I think having everybody healthy and going into the postseason with a with with your core um, should be the focus going forward. But, I, you know, you do kind of see how getting to the two and getting that path um, to the Eastern Conference Finals and, you know, avoiding Milwaukee a little bit longer like that. You could definitely see how that would uh, how that would be appealing to the Celtics. So I had thought, I don't know if you shared in this feeling, that, uh, you know, this would be kind of a redshirt year for Romeo Langford. You know, most of the year in Maine, rebuild his shot, rebuild his confidence. But he's been up, and he's he started a game recently, closed that game as well. He's been playing well off the bench, the Thunder game notwithstanding. Is he going to be a, a rotation player come the postseason, or is he really only kind of useful and valuable when Boston is shorthanded and, and you need to give him an increased role? So my guess is that for this year, it's the latter. I think for this year, it's, you know, he's depth. He is, um, you know, he'll play a good amount of minutes during this, like we talked about the load management kind of streak here. Um, I think that that's probably what we're looking at for him for the rest of this year. But, yeah, I mean, I I think going into next year and and as you start to look ahead to the future, this has been a really valuable stretch for the Celtics to sort of, get a sense of what they have. And, and it turns out that all the things that people thought he was going to be good at, he's quite good at. Um, so, and, and even some other things like defense. Uh, I don't think very many people thought he was going to be a great defender um, coming into the NBA and he's been really good in Boston. So, you know, I, I don't think that he plays much during the postseason, um, If at all, I, I think that he is sort of that luxury this year, but he's proving pretty clearly that he is too good to be a luxury, you know, exclusively a luxury going forward. So, That'll be a, you know, a good problem for the Celtics to have, I think, um, headed into next year. So that in mind, are the playoff spots, the playoff rotation, is, is anything up for grabs, or do we already know what this is going to look like if everybody's healthy? I think we kind of know. Um, you know, we've, we've seen really good things this year. Um, you know, obviously a few struggles, but we've seen really good things this year from Shemi Ojale. Um, you know, we've seen sort of how the, how, how the bench sort of shakes out against some of the top teams and, you know, obviously that's been affected by injuries too, but, you know, I think we've got a pretty good sense of it. Um, you know, Grant Williams is going to play, obviously. Ennis Cantor is going to play. Like I said, I think Ojale is going to play. Brad Wanamaker is going to play. And, and, and when you kind of, I mean, that's when you, when you count up all those guys, that's nine already. And I mean, that's pretty close to a, a complete mm-hmm. um, playoff rotation. So barring some acquisition, um, you know, maybe you could see an acquisition that, that pushes Wanamaker out of there just because there are so many ball handlers, on the team already. Um, you know, you can always use Gordon Hayward as a point guard if you need to. Um, so maybe if they pick up a shooter at the buyout market, maybe that kind of bumps everybody down a little bit. But 
I mean, as of right now, it, it kind of feels like they really like what they have um, with those nine. And, uh, you know, you can kind of see the vision. Like, there's, there's a lot of defense. There's good scoring when you start to mix in the starters. There's, you know, a, a team that could have, a t- you know, a top five bench and net rating like Ainge was talking about in that clip. So, yeah, I kind of, I kind of think that where we are is where we're going to be. The Celtics have won seven straight, and I, I didn't realize this. I just wasn't paying attention to it until I sh- saw a Sean Grandy tweet. The Celtics have also won seven straight against playoff teams. Big stretch ahead now. Rockets, Clippers, the new-look Wolves, who are probably going to be trying to figure themselves out. you got the Lakers, the Blazers, and Jazz, and then the Rockets again. All of that by the end of the month. Of course, the All-Star break is in between there. But five out of the seven on the road. It's hard to predict, especially with this load management that we anticipate, but what do you think we should expect from from this stretch here? Because that's a grind. Yeah. No, it's gonna be it's gonna be a gut check type of uh stretch here for the Celtics. Like I think, you know, if if you get out of this stretch, I mean, people are getting kind of spoiled, I think, right now, because the Celtics are just winning, 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 and like, you know, they're they're winning games they absolutely should win, um, which is, you know, really an encouraging sign, but um, you know, they haven't been facing the Rockets twice and the Lakers and all these really tough teams. So, I mean, I think if you come out of this stretch, you know, 500, a little bit better than 500, just keeping in mind, like, this team is exhausted. Like, we, <laughs> we've talked about it ad nauseum, but, like, going back to whatever it is, like, January 3 or something like that, they've had a game either every night or every other night for, you know, basically a month and a half at this point. That, that's a lot of games. And to end that stretch with, the, the road trip, the tons of tough Western Conference opponents, um, you know, I, I think there will be some losses during this stretch. But, you know, we'll, we'll get a sense for, especially after the All-Star break, that'll really help. Um, I think we'll get a sense for, you know, how this team stacks up against really tough Western Conference opponents. And, um, you know, I, I think it'll be really interesting to see how individuals fare, especially Tatum. Um, you know, there's been sort of this narrative that's floated around Twitter a little bit that he's um, not as good, good as Vince Carter. I mean, that's been, you know, floating around. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I mean, there's been, this, uh, there's been this narrative that he's exclusively good against uh, bad teams, mm-hmm. um, that he, like, puts up his, you know, 30, 35, 40-point games against bad teams. And I think this will be a really interesting stretch for him specifically. Look, you like, he's been awesome the last couple of weeks, like, all NBA awesome. Let's see how he does against the really good teams, because this is the type of competition um, that he's going to need to play really well against for the Celtics to be contenders. So, um, that that'll be really interesting, and I think just you know obviously getting another getting a good look at at how Kemba's going to perform against uh, you know top level competition on this team will be really interesting. So I would say expect some losses here over the next little bit, just purely based on schedule and uh, and, and just weary legs. But you know it'll be interesting to see how the Celtics respond and how they uh, you know how, how they kind of fight through it. I think we address most of the questions on social because again a lot of just repeat questions so there was no need to call specific people out but this is an interesting question from Jeff here to take us out this will be the last one for you and we know that the answer is not health clearly so Celtics struggled with a lot of slow starts early in the season now they seem to be doing well scoring in the first quarter what do you think changed so and, and I'm not entirely certain the stats back me up but like just from like an eye test perspective what it feels like is happening more and more um, especially now that Gordon Hayward is getting back into the, into the flow of things. I think he makes a huge difference for that first unit. Um, just his ability to knock down pull-up jumpers, to do that turnaround that he does that feels like it goes in like 80% of the time. Um, and just to kind of like grease the wheel a little bit, get things moving, 
Um, I think he really helps in that way. The Celtics obviously build their offense around, you know, three-pointers and layups, but when they're able to have a guy who can get into sort of that squishy area of the defense and create his own shot um, really effectively the way Hayward can, I think it can kind of free guys up a little bit and make, you know, like let's say a team starts off 8 nothing against the Celtics and they're shooting threes and missing. It can get really easy to get tight, I think, during that stretch. Like, okay, i got to make this next one. Whereas if Gordon Hayward knocks down a couple of jumpers, it's just your normal, you know, 8-7, you know, 10-6, whatever start all of a sudden those, those threes don't feel quite so high pressure. Um, and, and I think that that's, I think that's part of it. Um, I also just think, like, look, you know, the team's getting used to each other. Like, guys are starting, even, even though they haven't necessarily all been healthy, they've all played together in some, you know, some lineup. Uh, you know, at some point, Gordon Hayward has, you know, gotten used to playing with Kemba Walker. At some point, um, you know, Daniel Tice has gotten used to playing with Jason Tatum. Like, we're deep enough into the season now that even if you haven't, even if you're not super used to a particular unit, you're used to the guys, you're used to each other, you're used to the system. And I think that matters a lot too. So, you know, I think it's, it's, I think it's a lot of those two things. I think Gordon Hayward has a lot to do with it. And I think just as they've, you know, gotten together a little bit more, as they play together a little bit more, it just kind of feels a little bit more natural. All-star breaks coming in Chicago. Celtics will be represented by Kemba Walker, obviously Jason Tatum as well. Uh, Taco Fall is going to be there. Not, you know, he's he's going to be doing stuff, but obviously not playing in the game. Uh, you know, Tatum will be defending his title in the Skills Challenge as well. Will you be there, or are you going to do like some of these other guys and I don't know, go to Cancun or Puerto Rico or something? You really maximize your break. I got to maximize this break. Uh, good shout out to uh, my beat partner John Corrales. He's headed to. Uh, He's headed to Chicago. Nice. He'll be checking it out. I will be. Uh, I'll be hanging out in Massachusetts with uh, the kiddo. So there you go. And be, well, uh, and, nice and the dog, play. obviously. Yeah. Well, especially the dog. <laughs> yes. Well, thanks to you. Thanks to your dog as well for making it a memorable show. And uh, you know, I, I think we covered a lot of great ground here. It's just you know, it's 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 just it's it's fun to be a Celtics fan again, which last year was not. Those were some some tough stretches, some hard games to watch and a tough team to root for. Even even ownership said as much. And so this year it's it's nice to have a good change of pace and appreciate you coming on as always. It's been a little while. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Outstanding stuff from Tom Westerholm and uh, gave us a lot to think about, a lot of interesting debates, not just the Jason Tatum Vince Carter one to take us full circle. I think I think it was a lot of really uh, interesting little footnotes here in this particular show and talking points. So I encourage you to uh, tell your friends, check it out, and by all means, always subscribe to the show. Uh, you can go to our YouTube page, just search CLNS Media, it'll pop up. Of course, subscribe on iTunes, search Celtics or Celtics Beat. We're right there. You can find me on Twitter at Adam M. Kaufman, the constant back and forth. I love doing it. Love hearing from you guys. The interactivity, it's always a good time. Today's show, of course, brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Go to BetOnline.ag. Use the promo code CLNS50 for 50% bonus on your next deposit. Thanks again to Tom, to uh, Tom's dog, my producer Evan. Thanks to Nick, Larry, John, everybody at CLNS Media. Most of all, of course, you. Always welcome your feedback, and uh, we're, we're here for you. We want to hear from you. So hit us up, and most importantly, like I said, subscribe to the show. More future Celtics beats on the way. Really special treat, I'm hoping, for the next show. We'll see if that goes according to plan. And If you followed along on Twitter, you already know what I'm talking about. But maybe a celebrity appearance to join us. In fact, tweet me. See if you do know what I'm talking about so I can hear from you there. All right, Gino, get us out of here.